We welcome each of you to this hour of worship, and we're delighted to have you here if you're visiting with us. And if you are visiting, we hope that you'll come back to be with us on many, many future occasions. Next Sunday, our service will be in this place, but at an earlier hour. It's a fifth Sunday next week, uh, last day of July. So we will meet here at 10 o'clock for a traditional worship service, and so we Hope you've got that marked on your calendar and will uh, not show up at 11. If you do, you're welcome to come in and leave your offering. <clears throat> but we'll probably be done by then. <clears throat> We're gonna, this is the one week of the year we beat the Baptist to all the restaurants. So, you know, we have to, have to run, win the race occasionally. Um, announcements to, to share with you this morning. This Wednesday, July the 27th, is the last wonderful Wednesday of the summer. Kids are invited to join Mrs. Katie and Miss Leanna for our water play day outside on the church grounds from nine to noon. Wear your swimsuit and sunscreen and bring a towel. Please register online at greerchurch.com or through our Sunday bulletin or uh, talk with Katie later today. We especially want to thank Allison Duncan for being our guest artist during the wonderful Wednesday Art Day last week. 21 children attended our Art Day and Allison led them through painting their own canvas masterpieces. Pictures are online at greerchurch.com. And then I have an announcement from um, Jessica reminding you that tomorrow is the deadline to sign the children up for the music camp, uh, which will be August 1 through 4, from 9 until 11.30 each day. And then that Thursday evening, uh, there will be a performance at 6.45 in the Family Life Center, uh, a dinner theater. And uh, we need to know how much uh, food to get ready, uh, so we're asking you to check with our website, greerchurch.com, um, where Adam has put uh, registration up for you to let us know you'll be here for the supper that night and how many will be here. So we invite you to remember this. This afternoon, at uh, right after the end of this service, um, I'm not going to go to the back and shake hands this time. I'll head over here to meet with the charge conference uh, we'll have a very, very brief meeting to uh, formalize an action the board took last week. Shouldn't take too long. Um, so members of the administrative board are reminded of the charge conference meeting at noon. And then I invite you to be here at 3 today as we gather uh, for a memorial service for John Jameson, who passed away very unexpectedly this week. And certainly our thoughts and prayers are there today and with his family this day. At this time, let us begin our time together in worship.
Let us affirm our faith in God using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven, and stood at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From this he shall come to judge the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life This time, I'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Peggy Smith for a few moments of sharing. seen the TV show The Price is Right? You ever seen it? Yes? Okay. People go on that show and they, they try to get the prices of things, right? And whoever gets the closest without going over, you can't go over. Wins a prize or a treasure, right? Okay, we're going to play the game. We're going to play Price is Right. I have a treasure. Some shoes from Captain America. All right, we're going to guess the price of this box of 10 fruit shoes, okay? All right, you can only vote one time now. You can only vote once, so think about it. You got to think about this price. If you think the price of this is over $3, raise your hand. Okay, you're out. <laughs> you went too high. Uh, oh, well. If you think the price of it is over $2, raise your hand. <laughs> if you think the price is over $1, raise your hand. Okay, you two are still in, okay? It is over $1. Um, if you think the price is over $2, I'm going to ask you again. Raise your hand. No? better vote because it's over two dollars all right we're gonna let everybody back in we're just gonna try to guess the price okay if you think the price is two dollars and 78 cents raise your hand <laughs> robbie wants these i can see it all right if you think the price is two dollars and 40 cent raise your hand okay i'm gonna give you two more prices so you have to choose okay if you think the price is $2.68, raise your hand. Okay, here's your last one. If you think the price is $2.50, raise your hand. That's it. That's the price of these, okay? And some of you might think, boy, that's a lot of money, $2.50 for this little box. But you have to decide sometimes. Every day we decide, do I want these for $2.50 or do I not want them for $2.50?
It's a, you have to make those choices every day. What am I willing to give up for this? What do I need to, you know, what do I'm going, what's the price I'm going to pay for my treasure for that day? Well, there's a story in the Bible about a treasure, and it's in Matthew. It's Matthew 13, if you want to go home and read it, because I'm going to just give you a little part of it. And it's about a man, and he was walking along the street, and he came to this field, and he saw something shining in the field, and he went over there, and he dug it up, and it was this treasure. And he was so excited, but the field didn't belong to him. It belonged to somebody else. So he went home, and he said, I've got to have that field. It's got a treasure in it. So he sold his house, his, everything he had, his animals, his farm, everything he had, he sold it all to go buy that field. And he went and bought the field, and then he had that treasure. The treasure was his. And what Jesus wants us to know is, when he told this story, he really wasn't talking about the treasure that's in the field. He wants us to know about another treasure. And it's a treasure that's ours. Can you think about what that great treasure Jesus would be talking about? Love is a good choice. Think about another treasure, the treasure that we all want to get. Yes, God, and where is God? And where is that called? Heaven. The treasure that Jesus was trying to teach these people was that there's a treasure that you all can have, and that treasure is heaven. But what we have to do, the price we have to pay, just like we have a price to pay for this, the price we have to pay for that treasure in heaven is to put who first in our lives? God. God wants us to put him first. He says, is it worth it? Is it worth putting God first to obtain that treasure in heaven? Do you think it's worth it? Yes, I do too. And you know what Jesus would tell us about that treasure in heaven? That the price is right. That's exactly right. The price is right for us to put God first and to obtain that treasure in heaven. So do you think we can do that? Always try to put God first. Sometimes we may fall down, but that's what he wants us to shoot for, to always put him first so we will one day get that treasure in heaven. Okay? All right, let's pray about it. Dear God, please let us always put you first so we can one day have that treasure in heaven. Amen. And you can have one of my treasures. Our Old Testament lesson is from the book of Genesis, chapter 29, verses 15 through 28. Laban said to him, 
Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and, and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 105. It is found on page 828. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share God's word responsively. <clears throat> oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on God's name, make known God's deeds among the peoples. Glory in God's holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek the Lord's presence Remember the wonderful works God has done, the miracles and judgments God has uttered. O offspring of Abraham, God's servant, children of Jacob, God's chosen one. The Lord is our God, whose judgments are in all the earth. The covenant made with Abraham, his promise sworn to Isaac, and confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, Victorious passage written by the Apostle Paul 
to his friends in Rome is recorded in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here ends the lesson. Oh, 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 oh. 
I neglected to mention earlier that um, choir member Don Forrester is not here today. He's in the hospital with pneumonia, summertime pneumonia, so remember him in prayer. And you will notice that uh, this last week uh, we lost a very dear member, uh, Wilma Keller, uh, 98 years young. Maybe one day my mind will be as sharp as hers was the last year of her life. Um, but one who was blessed with a very long life uh, passed away last Sunday evening, and we certainly want to remember that family in prayer as well as the Jameson family this day. So let us now join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, through all the changes of life, we offer you our praise, for we have discovered that you work in the midst of all the things of life with one intention in mind, and that is that your children will experience the ultimate goodness of those events and will experience your love and grace in the midst of difficulties, and we're thankful for this. We're thankful that nothing happens to us in life that you're not able to twist into goodness, whether it be a loss of a job or the loss of a friend or the loss of someone we love in death, that even in all those things, you are at work in our lives to bring good from the bad and to bless your children. How wonderful it is to know, God, that you're not looking over our lives, looking for ways to send punishment upon us, although we know we deserve that. Indeed, you're looking over our lives, looking for ways to send blessing and help and goodness to us all the days of our lives. And this truly is a wonderful thing, one for which we are greatly appreciative, one for which we say thank you, God, how wonderful it is to go through life knowing that you are with us. And how wonderful it is to know that as we stare death in the face, there is one behind us who has already been through the doorways of death who calls us to resurrection life as we die. And we're thankful for that. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful stories of your love and grace in the Old Testament. And we see in some of those stories that your will cannot be defeated. That once you set a plan in motion, no matter what we humans do, you see it through. You even use mistakes that humans make for your glory. Even the worst thing we ever did, which was to turn on you in the Garden of Eden, you took that and turned into blessing when you sent Jesus here to give his life for all of us. And so we give you thanks that in all the times of our life when we don't know which direction we're supposed to go, you not only know it, but you will use us in your good plans and you will lead us in the right ways. And we are so thankful for this. Be with us now as we worship now and later in the day. Cause us to feel your love and your care and your strength. And we pray for our friends in their times of need, especially those who are grieving this day. 
that together they and we might lift our eyes from beyond the shadows of earth to see the light of eternity and be comforted by your love for us in that eternal realm. All these things we pray in the name of Jesus who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
I'm not sure whether you noticed it this morning, but there is something intentional being said by the men's section of the choir. They're in, sitting in missing man formation this morning, leaving a seat vacant um, in honor of and in memory of John. Our gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, and then 44 through 52. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch on its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then moving to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything, everything he had, and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here, I've got two more verses, excuse me. Have you understood all these things Jesus said? Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out the storeroom, out of his storeroom, new treasures as well as old. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> In recent weeks, we've been reading the Old Testament lesson, the Patriarch's story, and um, I've really kind of gotten caught up in it, so much so that I thought, well, if I could get Andy Griffith to come down here and tell the story of Jacob, that would be perfect, because I can just hear him doing it like there, you know, the, the story about Romeo and Juliet. But uh, alas, he's not able to be here today. So today you get to hear the story through the Holt filter. To really get into it like I want to today, um, I'd have to come out of the robe and put on some overalls and be a country storyteller because it's just too wonderful a story not to grasp in that kind of setting. When Abraham and Sarah were very old and their son Isaac was 40 years old, they finally gave up on him ever finding a wife. Part of the trouble is they didn't speak the same language as their neighbors. Plus, they wouldn't let Isaac play with or have any, anything to do with those Canaanite people, especially the Canaanite women. No siree. Nothing but a good old Mesopotamian girl would do for their son. And that lets us know that prejudice existed in the world a long time before we Americans discovered it. So Abraham called his most faithful servant, Eliezer, and said to him, Eliezer, I want you to promise me in the most solemn way, grab hold of my thigh 
and swear to me that you won't let Isaac marry one of these local girls. I sure am glad we changed that custom to where we just now lay our hands on the Bible and we're going to swear to something. But anyway, Eleazar left for what is today called Iraq in search for a wife for Isaac. As he arrived, Eleazar asked God for a sign so that he would know which of the girls he should ask uh, to come back with him. He said, not only let the young lady offer me something to drink from the well, but let her offer to water all of my camels. About that time, a beautiful girl named Rebecca showed up, and that's exactly what she did. Eliezer showed just how happy he was to meet her by placing rings, uh, rather bracelets on her arms, and then he put a ring in her nose. Hey, nothing says thanks like a ring in the nose. So Rebecca agreed to return to Canaan with Eliezer, and she was married to Isaac. Twenty years later, they were still childless. And back in those days, being child, childless was considered to be a symbol that you had earned disfavor with God. It was a spiritual condition, they thought. And so Isaac prayed for Rebecca that her spiritual condition might be healed And sure enough, soon she was expecting. But something seemed terribly wrong. Why was this baby so active? Rebecca never could get any sleep, and so she sought an answer in prayer. Somehow God let her know that she was going to have not one but two babies, and that those two boys were already fighting within, and that they would fight their whole lives. Two great nations would come from those two boys, she was told, but in a strange twist of fate, and human customs as well, the older of the two would become the servant of the younger. The day of the twins' births arrived, and they were far from identical twins, to say the least. The first they called Esau because he had lots of hair all over his body, He was also named Edom because his skin had a red tone to it. I always think about Irish folk when I read about that. The two boys must have been having one final wrestling match before birth because when the first boy was born, the second boy was still hanging on to his brother's heel. For that reason, they named the second son Jacob because that meant He grasped the heel. But interestingly enough, the name Jacob also means he deceives the deceiver. The name given to him at his birth cast a very long shadow over his life for the man named the deceiver, who would later be called Israel, spent his entire life either deceiving or being deceived. And it doesn't take us long to learn where Jacob learned his deceitful ways. His mother was real good at it. And later we learned that his uncle Laban also was an expert in that area. So not only did Abraham import a wife for Isaac from his old home turf, he also imported the practice of deceit. The first sign of trouble and dysfunction in that home was when the parents decided to divide up the two children. Each one of them chose a favorite and raised him. 
Isaac loved the outdoors and hunting, so he took Esau with him and made a skilled hunter out of him. Jacob liked to be with his mama. He stayed at home in the tents, and his mama taught him how to cook. Favoritism like that always breeds contempt in a home, and the boys grew bitter toward each other. When one of them needed something, the other didn't give it to him freely. They bartered for everything. Once, when Esau thought he was so hungry that he was going to pass out and die, Jacob used it as a chance to trade a cheap bowl of soup for all the rights that Esau had as the firstborn. But the last straw came when Jacob and his mother decided to trick a blind and perhaps dying Isaac into giving Jacob all the blessings and the rights that belonged to Esau. So while Esau was out hunting for a great feast with his daddy, Rebekah told Jacob to put on Esau's clothes. And then she put a goatskin on his arms so that when he came near to his blind father, Jacob would smell like and feel like Esau. She even cooked the same thing that Esau was supposed to be bringing back to cook. When Isaac said, how have you caught all the animals that quickly and prepared the meal? Jacob deceived his father by even using the language of faith. The Lord blessed my hunt, he said bravely, lying through his teeth. Convinced that it was Esau standing before him, a blind Isaac passed all of Abraham's blessings from God onto Jacob. Right after Jacob had left the room, Esau came in. When Isaac realized what happened, he began to shake all over. Rebekah told her son Jacob, you need to leave home because Esau is comforting himself with the thought of killing you. Interesting way the Bible puts that. So she packed him off for a trip to her brother Laban's back in Mesopotamia. When Isaac asked why Jacob was leaving, Rebekah explained that she was sending him back home so that he wouldn't marry one of those awful Canaanite women like the ones that Esau had already married. So having received orders not to marry a local gal, Jacob went to Uncle Laban's to pick a wife from among his first cousins. Yes siree, the tree was about to go straight up. This story could have been in West Virginia. So we find a young man on a lonesome road who has practiced deceit his whole life and he's now lost everything, his home, his family. That's what deceit will do to you. But he was about to find renewed faith in Almighty God. Jacob stopped for the night and while he slept, he dreamed that that was the place that heaven and earth met by way of a long ladder reaching from heaven to earth. Angels were climbing up and down that ladder and God was up at the top of it and he heard God speak to him telling him that there was a good plan for his life and that God was with him. Jacob woke up, took the rock that he had been using as a pillow and made it a pillar, a pillar for a place of worship and he called that place Bethel, the house of God. That was a moment of spiritual awakening for Jacob. Arriving in his uncle Laban's house, Jacob met Laban's two daughters. It is said that Leah had weak eyes, 
I think that means that she wasn't much to look at, or as we say, ugly. But Jacob was immediately smitten by the lovely Rachel, and so he agreed to give Laban seven years of hard work in return for Rachel as a wife. After seven years, Laban threw a big wedding party late one evening when it was getting dark, and he deceived Jacob the deceiver by switching brides on him. It wasn't until the next day that Jacob realized what had happened, and he was furious. It isn't fun getting deceived, is it, Jacob? Laban had a very logical explanation. It went against all the local customs to allow the younger daughter to get married before the older daughter. But if Jacob would agree to work for another seven years, he could marry Rachel right after that week of honeymoon with Leah was over. So Jacob agreed, and within a week he had a second wife. He got one wife as payment for his past work, and he got his second wife on credit. Now Mark Twain said that Jesus outlawed bigamy when he said, no man can serve two masters. Jacob soon found out how difficult it, how difficult it can be to be married to competitive sisters. Leah knew that she was not Jacob's favorite. So she sought to win Jacob's love by giving him many sons. When Rachel realized that she was losing the baby derby, she couldn't have any children, she decided that a child born to her servant girl could be her child too. And so she gave Jacob her servant as another wife. Not to be outdone, Leah matched her sister's offer and poor Jacob now found himself with four wives, a bunch of sons, and one daughter, and a lot of family to, to keep fed. Finally, Rachel did have a child of her own, the most famous, I guess, of all the sons of Jacob, the boy named Joseph. And in a touch of irony, at the end of the story, Rachel would die while giving birth to her second son, Benjamin. And it's through these four wives that Jacob's 12 sons were born and became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. So even though, even through the deception of Laban and through the scheming of those wives, God's will was fulfilled. Jacob became the father of a great nation, just as God had promised. Now, 20 years have gone by since Jacob ran away from home. And he knew that it was time to go back to the promised land. But Laban would not let him go. Among all other things, Laban was a shrewd businessman. And he knew that his own personal wealth had multiplied greatly, all because he had a good young man working for him all those years. Laban would pretend to be breaking up the, the livestock, and this is yours and this is mine, so that Jacob could leave. And then he would at night cheat and take some of the cattle away, leaving Jacob with nothing to take back. And that kept Jacob working, trying to, to get together his possessions to leave. Finally, Jacob gave up. And when Laban was gone off shearing his sheep, Jacob loaded up his huge family and all his possessions, and he sneaked off into the night for his journey home. When Laban learned about this, he came running after them, intent on forcing them back to Mesopotamia, and he would have done it too if God hadn't convinced him otherwise. 
So when he did catch up with Jacob and his children, he only hugged his daughters and grandchildren and blessed them on their way. Although it had been many years since he and Esau had parted ways, Jacob was still afraid of him. He might still want to kill him. So Jacob decided to divide up his family and possessions into two large groups, saying, if Esau attacks one of them, perhaps the other group can get away. He said a prayer asking God for help in delivering him from Esau. Apparently, he didn't even consider defending himself against attack. And that shows something, doesn't it? Some change in him. Then Jacob fell asleep. And again, he had a strange spiritual dream. He dreamed he was wrestling with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Most of us have. The fact of the matter is that Jacob had been wrestling with God his whole life. God had a good plan for Jacob's life, but Jacob had fought God every step of the way. His wrestling with God had left him wounded in spirit, and that night his final time of wrestling with God